listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. But I want to get into this subject today about five reasons that the devil loves the seeker-sensitive church and the seeker-sensitive movement. And these will definitely... um, be eye-opening to you, but when you think about it, you know, in the, in the, I would say just the theory of it. See, here's what's so crazy. Um, the theory of the seeker-sensitive church sounds like a good thought. It sounds like a good plan. Um, it sounds like something that makes sense. And if you want to reach people, it sounds like the way to go. Um, but really behind it, it's a demonic thought process. It's actually something that uh, is anti-Christ and carries an anti-Christ spirit. Um, and let me explain to you what I mean. Um, many of you that are watching, you know, I'm sure you've heard the term seeker sensitive, um, and, and you've, you've experienced maybe that type of church, or you know, a church in your area that that's kind of their reputation, seeker sensitive church. I'm not trying to vilify people, but a thought process. Um, and one of the things that you'll see more than ever, and of course, thankfully, we're kind of moving away from that now, uh, where it was extremely over the over the top. But there's still churches that are that are in this vein, where they gear everything in their church and in their services and in their the way they conduct themselves as leadership into drawing people in and never pushing anyone out. Or not that we're trying to push people out, but I'll explain in a moment drawing everyone in and never doing anything that would maybe cause people to leave or cause people to be uncomfortable. See, this is the biggest problem is that they always are are making decisions that would keep everybody, no matter what stage of life they're in, in a place where they're comfortable. And there is a danger to that. There is there is a danger to conducting your ministry in that way. And so there's this push uh, seeker sensitive. Let me break that term down. Um, obviously people who are seeking, this is who they're going after people that are seeking. They want to be quote unquote sensitive to those seekers. So meaning that no matter how somebody comes into a church, that, that we should always conduct the services and the leadership and the way that we govern our, our ministry in such a way that people, no matter what, would never be uh, offended or feel uncomfortable or feel like they should leave or feel like this is not for them. And it's really... Although it starts to sound good, yes, we should fill the seats, yes, you know, we should have as many people coming as possible. While that sounds good and sounds right, the problem that you have is, is yes, we want people to come into the kingdom. Yes, we want new believers. Yes, we want people to be discipled and converted. No question about all of that. But the real issue with that is, is that in the discipleship process, in the growing process, there are some elements that will make you uncomfortable. And you should be uncomfortable throughout many points on that journey to growing in Jesus Christ. It's not a comfortable journey. It's an uncomfortable journey. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. 
you know, take up your cross. It's not comfortable to take up a cross and lug it around, you know, wherever you go. But Jesus is giving us a word picture here that he wants you to make the sacrifice of serving him. It's actually something that denies your flesh and, and, and it accepts the desires of God for your life. And so there is a complete denial of flesh and a denial of self, and there's a following after God. So in the seeker-sensitive thought process, which is don't do anything that makes people uncomfortable. Don't do anything that makes people feel like maybe they should leave or this is not for them. You have to actually cut out the things from your ministry or from your church that would cause people to grow and become strong. And there's a demonic attack behind this because the devil knows how important it is that you become strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. In fact, when, when Paul the apostle wrote to the church, that's one of the commands that he gave them. He said, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So you don't have to command somebody, as you've heard me say, you don't have to command somebody to do something that's automatic. You don't have to do that. If somebody's automatically uh, uh, strong, you don't ever have to command them to be strong. But the reason that Paul commanded them by the Holy Spirit to be strong is because he understood and knew it's possible for believers to be weak. And obviously, if you're weak, the Bible actually says in the book of Proverbs, in fact, I'll turn there and read it to you, and you can put the um, reference up in the comment section. But listen to this. Listen to this verse of scripture found in uh, Proverbs 24 and verse 10. The Bible says, if you faint in the day of adversity, then your strength is too small. If you faint in the day of adversity, then your strength is too small. So understand that there are people who their strength is too small. And so the enemy comes at them to destroy them and they're not at a place of spiritual strength to fend off the attack. And so as a result, they faint in the day of adversity. And trust me when I tell you, for every believer, there will be a day of adversity. For every believer, you'll have to fight the good fight of faith. Only fighters are qualified to be winners. I want you to write that down in the comment section wherever you're watching from. Only fighters are qualified to be winners. So understand that when you fight the good fight of faith, you're building supernatural strength in order to fight. And if you don't have the strength necessary to fight and win, then you will faint in the day of adversity. You will faint in the day of adversity. So the, 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 the thought process is this. In a seeker-sensitive church, there's not proper training to become strong in the Lord. It's just almost like... Um, it's almost like a church where all they feed week after week is baby food or milk. And, and do you know that's something that actually um, frustrated the Apostle Paul? It actually was a frustration to him in his ministry that he, that he had churches he had to deal with that, uh, that, that was their story. Look at the, the Corinthian church, as you know, very immature as believers. But let me read to you 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 3. Listen to this. He said, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food. 
because you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready for you're still in the flesh. For while there's jealousy strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? And then he starts to, he's literally bringing correction to them and he's teaching them what they're doing that is infantile and he's he's showing them what they're doing that is immature and fleshly and he's calling them back to a place where God wants them to be, spiritual maturity. And see, you can't have that in a church that is constantly made up their mind. We're just going to have baby food every week. We're going to have milk every week. Nobody's going to grow. Nobody, nobody's going to be discipled. Nobody's going to be strengthened. And the enemy loves it. So let me give you five reasons. And I want you to write these down today. Um, five reasons why the devil loves a seeker sensitive church. Five reasons why the devil loves a seeker-sensitive church. Number one, the first reason that he does love a seeker-sensitive church is because there is no holiness, because holiness will not be preached. Holiness is one of those things that, um, (laughs) and and, and if you want to know the complete truth about it, holiness is one of those things that makes people extremely uncomfortable when you preach what God expects of you, when you preach what God is looking for in his children, that without holiness, no man will see the Lord. The Bible says without holiness, no man will see the Lord. And so when you have a church, I mean, there are churches right now, you may have some near you, you may have churches like this near you that will actually open up their services. I've just had people writing me about this again, again and again, they'll open up their services in the praise and worship, quote unquote, part of the service with secular songs, you know, with rock and roll songs. There's people opening up with ACDC and Katy Perry. It's like, what place does that have in the house of God? What place does that have in the presence of the Most High God? So you ask yourself the question, why are they doing things like that? Why are they opening up with secular music? It's for those that are seekers. This will be cool. This will be really relevant. People love ACDC. People love Katy Perry. People love Justin Bieber. And so what were they going to do? They're going to open up their services with secular music. What's the point of that? There's not going to be any anointing on it. God's not going to honor it. It's actually going to be grieving to the Holy Spirit. So think about this for a minute. There are churches that would rather grieve the Holy Spirit in order to please sinful men. Think about this. Think about that thought. There are churches right now that will hold, they held service yesterday. They're going to be in, 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 you know, in churches all over America this whole week that they would rather grieve the Holy Spirit than they would, or so that they could please, uh, carnal, fleshly, sinful men and women. They would choose to grieve the Holy Ghost to please sinful men. That is completely reprehensible. It's reprobate. But it's, it's Bible prophecy that in the end, the love of many will grow cold. That the end, in the end of time, in the last days, the love or the hearts of many will grow cold to the things of God. And so number one, the number one reason that the devil loves a seeker sensitive church is because there's no holiness. Holiness will not be preached. You're not going to ever go to a church like that and hear them preach against sin. You know why? That's uncomfortable for the seeker. That's something that would cause people to leave the church. And we need them in the seats because we need their tithe check because we've got bills to pay and we've overextended ourselves and we don't have the resources unless the people are coming. 
And so we're not going to preach on anything controversial. We're not going to preach on anything the Bible says that 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 is uh, uh, instructional or that brings people up to a standard, holds them to a standard. It's always, you know, just come however you are, just be however you are, just do whatever you want as long as you come to church on Sunday morning. That's that's how they are. That's how it's become. I actually had a story somebody told me of, of a church where uh, the pastor brought a, an alcoholic in off of the streets. I'm all for that. I want to see alcoholics delivered too. However, what the pastor did was bought the man a six pack of beer and sat him on the front row and said, hey, you can drink the beer while you listen to me preach. I mean, what kind of a message does that send to the unbeliever, to the sinner? I mean, and how far are you going to take that? Literally, how far? What if you go out to get a drug addict? Are you going to give him a, a syringe full of heroin um, before the service? Say, listen, while I'm preaching, just shoot that into your veins, man. Just get all, get as high as you can. And my messages are actually better when you're high. Uh, how far are you going to go with that? What if somebody battles with lust? Are you going to get them a, a lap dance on the front row while you're preaching? Have somebody come in and do do you know provocative dances all over while they're while you're preaching? It's a foolish thought process. That instead of getting people delivered, instead of bringing people into freedom, instead of preaching the truth, not not in a condemning way, in a way of love that brings freedom to the person, we've gone into a into a way that is completely grieving to the Holy Spirit and displeasing to God. And it's Bible prophecy. These things will happen in the last moments of time. So the number one reason that the devil loves the seeker-sensitive church is that there is no holiness preached. There is no holiness preached. In fact, if you want to go a step further, one of the biggest lies that's being spewed in our generation right now is the lie of the hyper grace message, what we could even call the greasy grace message. It is not Bible grace. It is a man-made interpretation of grace that does not line up with scripture. And I'll explain it. One of the thoughts in the uh, in this thought process is, that as believers, once you get saved, your actions no longer matter. You know, it doesn't matter if you sin, doesn't matter if you make mistakes because your past, present, and future sins are already forgiven because of the blood of Jesus. So, you know, they've gotten to the place where they even teach Christians don't even need to repent anymore if they commit a sin because your, your actions don't matter because God's not looking at you uh, at, as, as you, he's looking at you through the blood of Jesus that's been shed for you. So he doesn't see your sinful actions anymore. He just sees the blood of Jesus, which is completely and totally untrue, completely and totally untrue. And I can prove it by scripture. The Bible says, and I'll turn there in the book of revelation chapter two, Jesus himself shows up to these uh, end time churches. And I want you to see what he says to the church of Ephesus. Listen to this verse two, because you know, before I read this, let me tell you what people always say. If you talk about living holy, if you talk about pleasing God with your actions, if you talk about dedicating to the kingdom, people always say, well, brother, that sounds like works to me. Sounds like you're into works. You know, it sounds like you're not into the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sounds like you're into works. That's, that's what they say. And, uh, and here's, here's what I want you to hear that Jesus himself said to the church in the new Testament, revelation chapter two, I know your works <laughs> start right there. Revelation two, two, I know your works. 
So Jesus himself was not looking through the lens of his blood at the church. He was not looking through the lens of his blood at the individuals. He said, I've actually been watching your works. I've actually been watching what you do, what you say, and the fruit you produce. And he says this, let me go further. He says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. And I know you cannot bear those who are evil and have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and have not grown weary, but I have this against you. Listen, Jesus had something against the church. What did he say? That you've abandoned the love you had at first. So remember for where, from where you've fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Notice he didn't say, well, just abide in my grace. Listen, you're a part of a New Testament church. Just abide in my grace. No, he said, go back and do the works that you did before. Do the works that you did before. Look at this. If you don't, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. That is Jesus himself speaking to a New Testament church and telling them that I've been watching your works. I've been watching what you do. And I am disappointed. Go back to what you used to do. Go back to your first love. And if you don't, I'm coming back and I'll remove your lampstand from among the churches. What he was telling them was, I love you enough to warn you, to correct you. And if you don't heed my correction, there will be repercussions. There will be consequences to disobedience. That's what Jesus said. That's what Jesus said. I don't know what these other guys are saying, but that's what Jesus said. And that's how Jesus operates. He's looking for people. Let me take you to another scripture. Gospel of John. Chapter 14, verse 21, John 14, 21. This is a verse that we read often on the broadcast and the podcast. And this is, the, this is Jesus' definition of love for God and love for him. What I'm about to read you is Jesus Christ's own definition for love for him and love for God. Are you ready? John 14, 21. Susan, we're still on number one. <laughs> Whoever has my commandments and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and I will manifest myself to him. So you see that. Here's Jesus' definition of love. You have my word and you obey it. That's Jesus said, people who have my word and don't obey it, don't love me. They can say they love me. They can say they're my child. They can say they're sold out for me and to me. They can say they're dedicated into the kingdom, but talk is cheap. And the only proof that you really love me is that you obey my word. That's Jesus. That's Jesus speaking once again. And so this grace message that would have you believe your actions don't matter is so false, it's unbelievable. It's so demonic it's unbelievable. And this is the number one reason why the devil loves the seeker sensitive church. No holiness and a message preached that doesn't push you towards holiness. But let me just say this. And I believe I heard my uncle Tiff make this statement one time. You can put this in the, in the comment section, uh, that any doctrine that does not lend itself to holiness is demonic. 
any doctrine that bears the fruit of unrighteousness or lends itself to unrighteousness is demonic. Anything that's preached to you from the word of God that would bring you away from pleasing the Lord, that would bring you away from holy actions is demonic. You can test everything by the fruit it produces. You can test everything by the fruit it produces. Jesus said, by your fruit, by their fruits, you'll know them. By their fruit, what they produce. You can argue with me all day long that this is an orange tree. 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 But if I see apples hanging on the tree, I don't care what you say. I don't care how you try to explain it to me. I don't care what you try to break down. I can look at the fruit and see, I don't care what you're saying, this is an apple tree. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you say. This is apple because I see the fruit. The fruit of something is what determines whether it's good or whether it's bad. So number one, the number one reason that the devil loves the seeker-sensitive church is there's no holiness. Number two, the second reason that the devil loves the seeker-sensitive church is kind of like the first one, but it's, it's a bit different. No correction. No correction. You can't even correct anybody. You know, even if it's not sin, you can't bring correction. You can't bring expectation to someone's life from the word of God. If you start bringing correction and you know, I want you to see this because it's very important to understand that the, the word of God is not just for building up or exhortation as the Bible calls it, but it's also for correction. The Bible says the word of God is for exhortation. That's a building up or an encouraging, but it's also for a correction. And the Bible says in the book of Proverbs that fools hate correction. It is a fool who hates correction, but wise people seek out correction and love it. Wise people seek out correction and they love it. You know, uh, if, if you go to a church, they understand, you know, everybody's cool with being encouraged. You know, it's like that, that's, that's a no brainer. Everybody's cool with getting encouraged. Yeah. Encourage me all day long, but many, many people don't want any correction. Don't want to hear any correction on anything in their life. We've built this rebel mindset in our generation. Well, who do they think they are to talk to me like that? Who do they think they are giving me instructions about my life? You don't know me. This is my life. Who do you, this is my body. This is my relationship. This is my life. And that's how people have grown to act. They've been taught to act that way. This is a culture that's been uh, developed in America and around the world, a rebel culture that, that can't submit to any um, authority of any kind that gets angry if anybody tells them anything. But the Bible says that it is a fool who hates correction, a fool who hates correction, but wise people seek out correction and they love it. I love correction and I love being corrected. It doesn't always feel good to your flesh, but I love it. You know why? And I want you to write this in the comments. Every person that's watching, write this in the comments section. Correction is just direction. Correction is just direction. I want you to write that in the comments. Correction is just direction. So important that you catch that today. Correction is not abuse. <laughs> correction is not harassment. Correction is direction. Hear what I'm saying to you today. Correction is not abuse. 
Correction is not harassment. Correction is direction. And that's the key, is that if we don't have correction in our lives, then how are we going to get where God's called us to go? You know, God brought men and women into the body of Christ for the purpose of perfecting the saints, the fivefold ministry gifts. This is apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. God set them in the church for the purpose of perfecting the saints. And those fivefold ministry gifts that have been set in the church by God are there to not just encourage you when you're down and build you up when you're being attacked, but to correct you when you're on the wrong path. That's what a shepherd does. You know, if you've ever uh, read the 23rd Psalm, the Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd, I will not want. But there's a, a, a wonderful part in there where it says, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Well, the rod and the staff are not the same thing. The shepherd carries a rod for your enemies. The rod is a weapon. And so if a, if a wolf was to come into the sheepfold, the shepherd could take a rod and beat the wolf out of the sheepfold. But the staff, that long walking stick with the hooked end, is actually a tool for the sheep. And if, the, if there's a sheep that gets out from among the flock and starts wandering in its own direction... Literally, the shepherd can take that long stick with, and put the hook around the sheep's body and guide it back into the flock. That is correction. It's course correction. It's course correction. All correction is course correction. Do you see that? All correction is course correction. All correction is course correction. That's why I say correction is just direction. And I want you to write it in the comments if you're watching, no matter if on YouTube or on Facebook, put this in. Uh, all correction is course correction. That's why I call it direction. All correction, no matter what the Holy Spirit tells you to do, no matter what a man of God encourages and corrects you to do, whatever it might be, uh, all correction is course correction. We don't get mad at, at Siri or Google Maps when the thing starts giving us directions. You've put your final destination into Google Maps and have hit start. Giving that app the ability to guide you. And so now when you're on the road and you're getting ready to make a, a turn and you realize it's not the right one and it starts calling out in 300 feet, turn right. You don't get angry at the app. You don't get angry at Siri. You don't get angry uh, um, at Google Assistant. You don't get angry at Google Maps. You, you know why? Because you understand you want that correction. You know, if all you did was stay straight on the road you were on, you would never get to your destination. So uh, the, the Maps app has to come on and correct you. You were on this road for 13 miles, but now in 400 feet, turn right. What's it doing? It's making a course correction. So now, if it didn't correct you, you'd just keep staying right on that road for as many hours as it let you until you started wondering, am I really going in the right way? Because you'd be so far gone. Now, I want you to catch this because this is powerful. You'd be so far gone on your trip, you'd start thinking to yourself, am I, am I really going the right way? Am I still going the right way? The, God doesn't want you to be so far gone in your life that you have to start thinking to yourself, am I even going in the right direction? Am I even doing the right things? Is this even where God wants me? No, God wants to give you course correction before you get to that place where you've driven for four miles in the wrong direction. 
He wants to give you correction at the moment it's time to make a change so that you don't ever lose momentum in where he's called you to go. That's why correction is a wonderful thing. It's direction. It is course correction. But at a seeker sensitive church, you're not going to get correction. You're not going to ever have them stand up and begin to correct the body and correct things that are going on or even correct people in the church. Why? We don't want them leaving. We don't want them leaving. We don't want, we don't want them out of here. You understand? They want them staying. They want as many people. They're closing the back door, man. They want as many people staying in the church as possible. We don't care if they live for God. We don't care if they sleep with their boyfriend or girlfriend. We don't care if they're still on drugs. We don't care. You know what? I'm not here to judge. We're just here to encourage you. That's not the word of God. That's not the word of God. Did you know, Paul, there's a big myth, by the way, in the body of Christ. There's a big myth that you shouldn't judge anybody. And they use Jesus' words, judge not lest you be judged. But Jesus is saying that if you judge, you will also be judged. It's just seed time and harvest is all that is. Seed time and harvest. If you judge others, you yourself will be judged. That's why Jesus encouraged them. Before you try to take uh, the speck out of someone else's eye, take the beam out of your own eye. Jesus is just encouraging us, be introspective first. Get your own house in order first. But understand, Paul taught this by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's not right for me to judge those that are outside of the church sinners. But it is right for me to judge those that are inside the church. So judging others is not actually wrong. There is a judgment that takes place within the body of Christ. How, why do you think it was right for Paul? You know, if you read the way Paul conducted the churches in the New Testament, you'd think the way they teach grace today, you'd think Paul needed a revelation of grace, <laughs> literally. Because what do you do with scriptures like 1 Corinthians where uh, there's a dude in the church that's sleeping with his stepmother and, uh, um, you know, Paul writes to them and says, listen, warn this guy to get his, get his act together. And if he won't, then dis, like literally remove him from the church. In fact, that, that's what they finally did is they removed him from the church and completely had nothing to do with him because he was, he was calling himself a Christian and he was living in sexual sin, uh, in the church and he wouldn't listen to correct, to correction. So what did Paul instruct them to do? Remove him and turn him over to Satan for the destruction of his soul. That, that was the instruction from Paul warning after warning and warning. Paul said, kick him out and turn him over to Satan. That's judgment. <laughs> that is judgment within the church. The man was a, a Christian, believed in the resurrection of Christ. God raised Jesus from the dead. I mean, he was a Christian, part of the church, but would not stop walking in sin. And so after uh, taking time to warn him and warn him, Paul said, now remove him and kick him out, turn him over to Satan for the destruction of his soul. That, my friends, is not going to happen at a seeker-sensitive church. <laughs> I can promise you that right now. What about, you know, you go through the, <laughs> you go through the New Testament. I mean, like, <laughs> it cracks me up. You could go through the New Testament, some of the things that were instructed, and you're like, man, I, you know, they were hardcore back then. I can't ever see anybody doing that uh, in this day and age. But let, me <laughs> but let me tell you, for example, when Paul taught the church that uh, if you've got anybody that's in your church that is um, bringing um, 
division. Let me read it to you. Let me, this is a verse right here that's going to blow your mind because no seeker sensitive church would ever do this. But this was Paul's instruction to Titus. Listen to this. Titus chapter 3 and verse 10. Uh, actually, let, let's go back. Let's go to verse 9. Uh, it's Titus 3, 9, 10, and 11. You ready for this? But avoid foolish controversies genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Verse 10, as for a person who stirs up division, okay, stop right there, a person who stirs up division, causing constant drama in the church, causing feuds and grudges in the church, causing people to leave the church because they've got a bad attitude, bringing division. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once, and then twice have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. That'll blow your mind right there. But that's an instruction of Paul by inspiration of the Holy Spirit about how to conduct correction in the church. If you've got somebody stirring up division in the church, this was Paul's instruction. Warn him once, warn him twice, and then excommunicate them and have nothing to do with them. Don't even eat with them. Don't even eat with them. So brother, that doesn't sound like grace to me. You know, it sounds like you're under works. No, I'm, I'm following new Testament commands from the apostle Paul. He's the one by the inspiration of the spirit that taught that principle to Titus. Why? Because the, the Lord, the Holy spirit knows how destructive divisions are and how powerful unity is. So number two, the second reason the devil loves a seeker-sensitive church is because there is no correction. Number one, there's no holiness. And number two, there is no correction. Number three, there is no power. I want you to write that down. Number three, there is no power. First of all, if you want to walk in the power of God, you've got to live holy. You've got to live holy. God doesn't withhold any good thing from those who walk uprightly or righteously. That's Psalm 84, 11. God doesn't withhold any good thing from those that walk uprightly. And Paul told Timothy, he said, if you want to be used by God for every good work, you've got to make yourself a vessel of honor, gold and silver, not wood and clay. Gold and silver. God's looking for people who will keep themselves pure, that's holiness, so that he can use them for every good work. God can't use you if you're an unclean vessel. That's not something we like to talk about today or doesn't seem popular. You know what they get on Christian television today? I don't care what you're doing. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what mess you're in right now. I came to tell somebody God's about to lift you up and take you in front of thousands. No, he's not. No, he's not. Because you have got to be a clean vessel if you want God to use you. You've got to be a clean vessel. That's why Paul was talking to Timothy like that and saying to flee youthful lusts and make yourself a vessel of honor, not a vessel of dishonor. And one of the things the devil loves about a seeker-sensitive church is that there's no power. And it, it, it stems from a few things. Number one, that there's no holiness and correction, as we just talked about. But number three, 
The reason that there's no power is because seeker-sensitive churches have kicked the Holy Spirit out of their services. They've kicked him out. They don't want manifestations of the Holy Ghost. They don't want manifestations of the power of God. It's too weird. It's too creepy for the seeker. It's too, you know, it's, it's a little bit odd. You know, we don't want speaking in tongues and, you know, we don't want, uh, the laying on of hands and we don't want deliverance in our Sunday morning services. And we, you know, we don't want that kind of stuff. It freaks people out. And that's the kind of things that, uh, those are the kinds of things that are even being said among our Pentecostal uh, and charismatic churches now behind the scenes. They're holding meetings and asking the questions. Should we allow speaking in tongues in our Sunday morning services? Should we allow uh, uh, the laying on of hands? Should we allow these things to be done in su- on Sunday morning? What are they going to, what are they doing? Dictating to the Holy Spirit what he can do in his own house? Have people lost their minds that we think we run God instead of he runs us? God is not my servant. Jesus is not my servant. The Holy Spirit is not my servant. I'm his servant. I am his servant. I do what he says. He doesn't do what I say. And people have lost their minds if they think they can dictate to the Holy Ghost what he can and cannot do in their churches, what he can and cannot do in their services, and think he's going to stick around. He's left the building. Get a clue. He's left the building, and he's not coming back. You know, people always make the argument, you know, well, we'll, we'll, um, we'll, we'll cut it out for our, our Sunday mornings because that's geared more towards the, the seeker. Um, but we'll, we'll do it more, um, on our Wednesday night core meetings. That's when we'll really have a move of the spirit. Let me just tell you something. If you don't allow the Holy Spirit to come to his house on Sunday morning, what makes you think he's coming back on Wednesday night? The Holy Ghost doesn't go where he's not wanted. He goes where he's welcomed. He goes where he's loved. He goes where he's appreciated. And he's not going to go to a place where they don't want him and where they think he's creepy and that his manifestations are actually um, a hindrance to getting people saved rather than the help we need. You know, the Holy Spirit, I want you to think about this. The Holy Spirit's not weird. People are weird. It's people that get weird, not the Holy Ghost. He's not weird. He's a comforter. He's our helper. He's our guide. He teaches us all things. He's not weird. Speaking in tongues is not weird. The Bible says that it's a sign to the unbeliever. It's a sign to the unbeliever. And so the devil wants us to be ashamed of the Holy Ghost. He wants us to be ashamed of Holy Spirit manifestations. He wants us to be ashamed of the power of God. I'm not ashamed. I feel like Paul. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation. I'm not ashamed of the Holy Ghost. I'm not ashamed that I speak in tongues. I'm not ashamed that I believe the Pentecostal message. I'm not ashamed of divine healing and laying hands on the sick. I'm not ashamed of divine deliverance from addictions and demonic possession. I'm not ashamed that I believe that I'm baptized and filled with the power of heaven. You can't be ashamed of the power of God and think it's going to manifest in your life. And in seeker-sensitive churches, we've kicked the Holy Spirit out of his own house. And as a result, you know, big crowds don't mean anything. You understand that? Big crowds don't mean anything if the right things aren't going on. Just because there's a large crowd gathered doesn't mean God's involved. If, if it did, then God would be involved in every Coldplay concert. 
Every U2 concert. <laughs> you know, every time Drake went on stage in front of a stadium full of people, it would mean God was there. That's not what it means. It's not what it means. A large group of people does not mean God's involved, whether you're in church or at a concert. So you can, you can have a quote unquote church with a large crowd doesn't mean God's involved. One time the Lord spoke to my father about that. He was, I think he was playing sports and my father had sprained his ankle. And the Lord, after he, he'd got home and, uh, and, he, and his ankle had swelled up and the Lord said, look at your ankle. And he looked down and saw that puffy, big ankle that had been sprained. And the Lord used it as an object lesson and spoke to him. He said, look at that. Just because it's big doesn't mean it's good. Not everything that's big is good. Sometimes things are big because it's not good, as in the case of a sprained ankle. Sometimes things are big because something's wrong. Did you ever think about that? Did you ever think about the fact that sometimes a church might be large because something's not right with the church? That there is, uh, and I'm not saying we should have a, a, a goal to try to drive people out of our churches. That's not, my, that's not what I'm saying. But did you ever think that maybe there's a reason that the church is big, but it's not having the kind of fruit that they're supposed to have because there's something wrong. They're not preaching the full gospel. They're not preaching the word of God. They're not bringing correction to sin. They're not preaching holiness unto the Lord. They're not believing the things that the New Testament teaches for the believer. Maybe there's a reason that it's big and it's not a good reason. And so without, think about this, uh, without the power of the Holy Ghost, we're missing out on the ability to walk in freedom. If we don't have the Holy Ghost, that's why the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3, 17, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And, and that's why the devil wants to take it out of our churches and keep this seeker sensitive movement. Because if you remove the power of the Holy Ghost from the church, you remove the ability for the church to be victorious. And it's demonic. The devil would love to fight against a weakened church. And so what does he want to do? He doesn't have to get you to renounce the name of Jesus Christ and become a Satanist. He just wants to take your weapons. Think about that. The devil is out to disarm the church. Put this in the comment section, wherever you're watching from. The devil wants to disarm the church. Put it in the comments right now, please. Every single person that's watching. The devil wants to disarm the church. His desire is to disarm the church. Put it in the comments. Because you know what the Holy Ghost is. We know what the Holy Ghost is. Acts chapter 1 tells us the words of Jesus. And you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost. After the Holy Ghost. After the Holy Ghost has come upon you. After the Holy Ghost has come upon you. See that? You shall receive power. That's right. Put it in the comments. Every person. The devil wants to disarm the church. He wants to disarm the church. He wants to disarm the church. That's his desire. But Jesus said, you'll receive power. The Holy Spirit and his baptism are the power for the believer. The power to cast out devils. The power to heal the sick. The power to raise the dead. The power to tread on serpents and scorpions. No evil thing can destroy you. That's the power. The Holy Ghost and his baptism are the power for the believer. 
That's why the devil doesn't want you to have it. That's why he's trying to press against it in this generation. That's why he's trying to make a decision uh, to try to uh, 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 discourage it. You know, it's like sometimes you go to a church and it's like the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is treated like some oddball black sheep cousin in the family to salvation, where it's like the, the leadership team does everything in their power to discourage you from seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's like you've been saved. All right, now we have um, we have six weeks of courses um, on, on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then after that, we want you to listen to these 32 podcasts on the baptism of the Spirit. And, you know, if we haven't talked you out of it by then, you know, we'll meet with you in the basement of the church and, you know, somebody will lay hands on you and quickly, you know, get you in and out. It's like they don't even want to do it. Then when was the last time you saw these churches have a service that was just dedicated to getting people filled with the Holy Ghost? That was all just dedicated to getting people filled with the spirit, speaking other tongues. Let me show you how important that was in the early church, in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter eight, I wanna show you what the apostles thought about the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a subsequent experience to salvation. In Acts chapter eight, the Bible says that Philip left Jerusalem because of persecution, went to Samaria, and began to preach Christ. And the crowds with one accord, verse six, Acts eight, six, uh, paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had had them and many who were paralyzed, were lame or healed. So there was much joy in the city. And so I want you to see this. Verse 14. Um, well, actually, let's go... Um, Let's go to verse 12. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women in the city. Even Simon the sorcerer himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip, seeing great um, signs and miracles he performed. He was amazed. Now look at verse 14. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John. They were there for a purpose. Watch this. Who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, stop right there. Stop right there and listen to this. For every person out there that thinks that the baptism of the Holy Spirit or what Pentecostals think is the, you know, the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the receiving of the Holy Ghost after salvation is a foolish thought that it happens at the moment of salvation and that's all the Holy Spirit you need. Here's, here's a clear place that teaches and shows us that after Philip had done evangelistic work in the city of Samaria, cast out devils, healed the sick, the Bible says many people in the city believed on the name of Jesus Christ and became saved, as well as Simon the sorcerer got saved and continued to follow the apostles and their doctrine. And the Bible teaches us that as soon as the apostles in Jerusalem heard that there were new believers in another city. What's the first thing they did? What is the very first thing they did? They sent Peter and John as emissaries from Jerusalem to Samaria for the sole purpose of laying their hands upon all the new believers and getting them baptized in the Holy Ghost. That was first order of business. Do you see that? First order of business was get them baptized in the Holy Ghost. 
Now they're saved, get them baptized. Now they're saved, get them baptized. Now they're saved, get them baptized. Go to Acts 19. You know what they, you know what happened when Paul went to Ephesus and he met those 12 men that were in Ephesus? He said, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they said, we've not even heard that there is such a thing called the Holy Spirit. He said, well, then what baptism were you baptized with? They said, John's baptism. And Paul said, oh, hold on a second. He said, John's baptism was just water baptism. And then when he heard that, he actually led all 12 men to Jesus because the Bible says, and then they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, which means they got saved. Paul brought them into the kingdom and they were now Christians. But notice the moment that Paul got them converted to Christianity, the first thing Paul did was lay his hands on them and all 12 men were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues and prophesy. First order of business. Very first thing. You know why? Because it's God's desire for every believer. And the seeker-sensitive church does not want that to take place. The devil does not want Christians to be armed with the power of God filled with the Holy Ghost. So the third reason the devil loves a seeker-sensitive church, he hates the power of God and doesn't want to see it in the believer. Number four, the fourth reason that the devil loves the seeker-sensitive church is because there's no leading. There's no leading. There's no guiding. When you're void of the Holy Ghost, then you're void of his leading. Think about that. When you're void of the Holy Ghost, you're void of his leading or his guidance. And he wants to lead you and guide you into all truth, according to John chapter 16. There are things that the Holy Spirit wants us to do that we can't know without his guidance. We can't know without his leading. And so if we don't have it, if we don't have Holy Spirit guidance, if we don't have Holy Spirit leading, then we're missing out on the plans of God for the earth. There are things that I've done. No, uh, I I can't pronounce your first name, but Dorcas, you don't need to have an apostle lay hands on you to be filled with the Holy Spirit at all because there are other instances of people being filled with the Holy Spirit in the New Testament that was not when an apostle laid hands on them. For example, Acts chapter 10, they were in Cornelius's house as Peter was just preaching and God filled them with the Holy Spirit. They were praying in Acts chapter four and God filled all those believers with the Holy Spirit. So you don't need an actual apostle to lay hands on you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but it is one way that it comes having a man or woman of God or another believer lay hands on you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that's a great question. But number four, there's no leading. There's no guiding guidance. There's no guidance. There's no leading. And the Holy Spirit has a plan for every person's life. He leads us. Let me show you something. Uh, that, that's a great testimony. Lynn. I got filled with the Holy Ghost at the grocery store. <laughs> I love it. My daughter Madeline got filled with the Holy Ghost in a children's church class as her little cousin Kaylin walked over, laid her hands on her, and Maddie went out in the Holy Ghost on the floor speaking in tongues at five years old, got filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and and I, can, I can attest to the fact that maybe one day she will be, but Kaylin is not an apostle. <laughs> so it can be a believer that lays their hands upon you. You understand? And so I want you to look at this with me. Isaiah 48, verse 17. 
Isaiah 48 and verse 17. God bless you too. Thus says the Lord, your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you to profit and who leads you in the way that you should go. I'm the Lord, your God, who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. So there is a a leading that God has for you into profitability, into increase, into blessing. There is a leading. There is a guidance that the Holy Spirit has for your life that will take you in the way that you should go. So I want you to catch this with me. The the enemy doesn't want you to be filled with the Holy Ghost and hear his leading and hear his guidance because he doesn't want you to go in the way that you should go, according to scripture. Doesn't want you to go in the way that you should go. So what does he want to do? He wants to strip the Holy Ghost from the churches. He wants to strip the baptism of the Holy Ghost from the churches and keep that out of our churches forever so that we don't have what God planned for us to have. It's God's plan for every believer to be baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Every believer. Every believer has not received it, but it's God's plan for every believer to receive it. Look at Isaiah 55. I love this. The Bible says, verse eight, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So I want you to see this. God has ways. God has thoughts that are not your thoughts. In fact, they're higher than your thoughts, but he wants to share those thoughts with you. The Bible says, I mean, he was willing to do that even in the Old Testament. The Bible says he made known his acts to the children of Israel, but he made known his ways unto Moses. He made known his acts to the children, but he made known his ways unto Moses. How much more will he make his ways known to us in this New Testament generation we're living in? And without the leading of the Holy Ghost, without the guidance of the Holy Ghost, then we are missing out. We're missing out on what God has for us. We're missing out on the power of God. We're missing out on the power of God. So I want you to write it down. Number one. The devil does not want to have a church that's filled with God's holiness. Doesn't want holiness in the church. Number two, he doesn't want a church that's open to correction. (laughs) Number three, he loves seeker sensitive churches because there's no power. Number four, he loves seeker sensitive churches because there's no guidance. There's no leading. And then I want to move on to number five. The fifth thing. He doesn't want there to be any boldness. And I want you to write this in the comments. The fifth reason that the devil loves a seeker sensitive church. The devil does not want there to be any boldness. The reason that he loves a seeker sensitive church is because it takes the boldness, a true boldness, out of the body of Christ. If you've removed the power, if you've removed the guidance and the leading, and you've removed the Holy Ghost, you've also removed the boldness of the Holy Ghost. So how can you, for example, how can you allow 
somebody to come and sit in a church for 20 years and never have the conviction to change their life. You know, I want you to think about this because it happens. It happens often. That in a seeker-sensitive church, someone could come and sit in your church for 10, 15 years as a homosexual. Now, I have nothing against homosexuals. I love them. I love them. I don't love their sin, but I love them as a person. Don't want to see them end in hell. I don't want to see them end in hell. I love all people. It has nothing to do with their color of their skin, economic status, where they grew up, which side of the tracks they grew up on, sexual preference. I love people, period. I don't love sin. I love people. You know, let me just say this as, as a final thought on, on, on this part of love is they teach us in this generation and this is a dangerous, dangerous thought. They teach us that you cannot love someone without loving what they do. Because they're wrapping people's identities up in their preferences. And my identity is not wrapped up in my preference. You understand? It's a stupid thing to wrap your entire identity up in your, sexual, in your sexuality. That's a stupid thing. I don't wrap my whole identity up in the fact that I'm a straight man. That's a, that's a stupid thing to do. You know, everything I do is done from the, um, from the, the, uh, the, the position in my mind. Well, I'm making these choices because I'm a straight man. No, I, that's a stupid thing to wrap your personality up in your sexuality, but they've done that in this, in today's day and age. So everybody's it's identity politics. Everybody's wrapped their identity up in the larger group context of, well, I'm a homosexual, I'm a lesbian, I'm bisexual, I'm transgender, you know, I'm, and then, you know, the list goes on and on and on. It's a stupid thing to try to wrap your identity around a preference in your life. Stupid. It's absolutely stupid. And then they tell us that we cannot love people unless we love everything they do. And here's the thing. Let me ask you a question. Did God love us? Here's what people never get. Did God love us? Yes. He loved us from the beginning of time. He loved us and knew that we would be born in sin, didn't he? He loved us knowing that we would be born in sin. So here's a question. Does God's love for us not require change? See, that's the question that freaks people out in our generation. Does God's love for us not require change? Or does God still require you to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And then does God not require you to live holy before him? And does God not require you to obey his word? And then does, not, does God not require you to abide by the fruit of the spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, meekness, kindness, temperance, faith. You know, does he not expect you? See, because here's the thing. Here's what we hear in our generation. Well, you know, if you want to change, if you got to change me in order to love me, then you don't love the real me. If you want me to change so you can love me, you don't love the real me. And that's so stupid. That is so stupid because I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. Imagine if a mother raised her son, spent 20 years raising him, whatever. And then, you know, in his adulthood, something happens where he becomes a serial murderer or a serial killer. 
and he's caught by the police and he's now on death row and they go and they're actually going to have a death sentence and he's going to get, let's say, lethal injection. And the mother attends the execution of her son. Now, as she sits in that room, as her son's about to receive lethal injection for the murders that he's committed, is it wrong for her to sit in that chair and cry? Is it wrong for that mother to sit in that chair and to weep tears because her son is getting ready to be executed? Is that wrong? Because, you know, you say, well, you know what? He was a murderer. How can you cry for that man? He was a killer. She's crying for him because he's her son. She's not crying because she loves murder. She's crying because she loves her son. And whether, no matter what he did, no matter what actions he's taken on the earth, it doesn't change the fact she's still his mother. He's still her son. And she loves him. But his actions have brought consequences to his life. And now he's going to be executed because of his consequences. But it doesn't change her love for him. She loves him, but she doesn't love murder. You understand? She doesn't love who he's become, but she loves him. That's why it's such a stupid thing to wrap yourself up or you wrap your identity up around what you've done. It, it, I can love and you can love a homosexual without loving homosexuality. I can love a lesbian without loving lesbianism. I can love a transgender person without loving that transgender identity. I can do that. And I understand what the basis of it is. I understand the root of what it is. But understand, I love people. I want to see people changed by the power of God. So, this is where I'm getting in this final point. This is where boldness comes in. Let me just say to you something. And uh, I would never normally... Um, I, I normally would never um, approve of or endorse anything that he does on my broadcast or on my platform because we hold very different ideas uh, as to uh, as to what the Bible teaches and, and as to what believers should be doing and how they should be operating. But I'll tell you one of the things that I had a very serious respect for Dr. John MacArthur about. And um, it seems like every time they put a preacher on a show, a television show, whether that be The View or Oprah or, or whatever it might be, every time they put uh, a preacher on, um, on a show like that and ask them about homosexuality, it seems like preachers just dance all over the place about, well, uh, you know, it's, just, uh, it's not for me to judge. Uh, you know, I can't, I'm not, I, can't, I can't know what God would do with someone in eternity. Uh, it's, it's like preachers jump all over the place on the answer about what will happen with homosexuality, lesbianism, whatever. They jump all over the place. And I'm talking about Pentecostal and charismatic even preachers. You can go back and watch the shows on YouTube. It's kind of ridiculous. But one of the things that made me respect Dr. John MacArthur even more is that they had him on a panel like that on a, an int, really an international show. And, um, it was not just, um, it, it was not just him being asked about homosexuality. He was being asked about his stance on it and what the Bible says on it while sitting next to homosexuals on the panel. And I've never seen a more masterful, uh, presentation of the gospel 
while people are sitting there next to him. He didn't back down an inch off of what the Bible says, not an inch, but said it in love and was able to turn to the person and say, listen, I truly love you. I don't want to see you end up in hell. I don't want to see you end in destruction, but this is where sin ends. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. Can I tell you something? Can I tell you what that took? Boldness. (laughs) That took boldness. And the devil doesn't want there to be boldness in the church. The devil doesn't want Christians, because let me tell you what boldness really does. Real love, if you have a real love for people, you'll tell them the truth no matter what they think about it. Because real love understands the consequences if you don't tell them the truth. You see what I'm saying? Real love understands the consequences. There is an eternity coming where people will spend eternity in either heaven or hell. And if I don't tell people the truth about what the Bible teaches, then they will spend eternity in hell. And so a real love, a true love, will tell the truth no matter what reaction it gets to the truth. Because real love carries a boldness and an urgency knowing Jesus is coming. Time's coming to a close. People are dying and they're on their way to hell and they need a savior. So real love carries a boldness and an urgency to tell the truth about what the Bible teaches and not care about what people think about it. And that's what the devil does not want to see in our churches in America and around the world. He doesn't want a group of people who will live holy, who will receive correction, who will walk in the power of God, who will be led by the Spirit, and then who will stand up boldly and proclaim the Word of God and not care what this world system may think about it, not care what an antichrist spirit may think about it. And that's so key. We need that in our churches today. We need that. So what do we need? What kind of a church should you be going to? What type of a church should you be attending? A church, number one, that preaches holiness, that preaches against sin, that preaches that you've got to repent from sin and live holy before the Lord. Number two, you've got to be attending a church that will give you correction when correction is needed. That's not afraid to tell you that's the wrong direction. That's the wrong way. You need to get back on track. You need to do what the word of God is saying. You need a preacher, a church that will preach correction, not just exhortation. You need to be in a church number three that believes in the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues and in practice does it. (laughs) Not just says they believe it on paper, actually does it in practice where you can hear the leader of the church actually speaking in tongues, where you hear believers in the church speaking in tongues, where you see manifestations of the power of God. Hands are laid on the sick for healing. People are ministered to for deliverance. The gifts of the spirit are in operation. You need to be in a church where that's taking place. Number four, you need to be in a church that's led by the spirit. The pastor's led by the spirit. The people are led by the spirit. They teach being led by the Holy Spirit. And then finally, You need to be in a church where your boldness will be built up. Your boldness will be taken to the next level. The boldness will be taken to the next level. It's so important that every person that's watching me today, that you understand that God has a plan for you to be bold, bolder than you've ever been. Why? Because time's running out. Time's coming to a close. 
and you've got to do what God's called you to do. I want to take a minute and pray for every person that's watching before we end this broadcast today. And then if you have any questions, I want you to just, what I want you to do is I want you to begin to take, uh, you can send me a message on a DM. You can send me a message by email. You can send me a message on the text message thread that we have, 757-300-1078. But I want to pray for every person that's watching today. And I want you to, here's what I really want you to do. I want you to take stock. And this is not a popular thing when I say it or when it, when it, when it comes across this way in the broadcast. But there's people that write us all the time. And, and just so that, you know, I can just put it out flat. You people, you write uh, me, people write Carolyn. And they say, well, I just don't know about this place that I'm in. I just don't know about this church that I'm in. That's why I do broadcasts like this. So that you can understand the parameters of what God's looking for in a church today. What kind of a church that God's looking for for his people. So I want to pray for you. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray that every person watching me today would, be, would begin to uh, continue to walk in the holiness of God. Number one, to be a vessel of honor. A vessel of honor. Number two, I pray in Jesus' mighty name that every person that's watching this broadcast would receive correction. Let them mature in the faith so that they would receive correction by the power of the Holy Ghost so that they'll always be on the right course. Number three, Lord, let them be renewed in the mighty power of the Holy Ghost in Jesus' name. Renewed by the power of God. Let them be led by the Spirit. And I pray that a fresh boldness would come upon every man and every woman watching today. Whether you're watching live or on the replay, I loose it now. Holy Ghost boldness to every man and woman watching in the mighty name of Jesus. And I thank you, Lord, and I give you praise that we will be the remnant that doesn't back off the power of God. We will be the remnant that does not step back from the things of God. We thank you, Lord Jesus, and we give you praise and we give you glory in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. I love you guys so much. Thank you for joining me again today. I'm going to jump on a plane, be home. I'll be back in the studio tomorrow through Friday, uh, 1030 in the morning, Eastern Standard Time. I'll be on time tomorrow, I promise. And uh, sorry for the glitches today, but I appreciate you sticking with me in this beautiful Hampton Inn and Suites in Erlington, Kentucky. I really love you guys. Uh, if you have any questions, please send me a message. You can DM me at... Um, Instagram at Ted Shuttlesworth or on Twitter at T Shuttlesworth. Um, you can send us an email or if you'd like to text me, the number is 757-300-1078. Listen, if you're not a part of our text message family, you'd like to receive texts from me uh, weekly or however often I, I text you and you can text me as well. Go do this for me. Go to miracleword.com forward slash text miracleword.com forward slash text and sign up there to receive. And when you put that information in the form, you'll add yourself right to my phone book on my phone and we can stay connected and uh, I'll know who I'm talking to, by the way, which helps. <laughs> so if you'd like to be a part of that, do that. Fill out the form and you'll, you'll receive those text messages for me every time they go out. And it is me sending them, by the way. Also, we've got the brand new fall edition of Miracle Word magazine that's going to be shipping soon. And uh, if you're not on the list to get that, miracleword.com forward slash live. Sign up and grab it. You'll get the emails as well. Thank you guys for saying that. I appreciate you. Uh, you'll get the emails as well. And again, if you guys have not taken a moment to subscribe to the YouTube channel, let me ask you to go and do that. Uh, if you go over to YouTube and search my name, 
Ted Shuttlesworth Jr. You'll find my channel. It's got over a hundred videos. And at this point in time, I think it's about 13 and a half thousand subscribers. I want to encourage you to subscribe. I have new content coming out all the time and I would love to have you guys be a part of that as well. Um, I love you so much. And if you have any questions, I'd love to hear from you. And um, I love you so much. And listen, Carolyn, I'm going to try my very best to get Carolyn back on the broadcast with me this week. I know she's busy. She's doing a lot of stuff. She's a nonstop mom for real. Like when, when you see that that's the title of her thing, that's real. She's like literally nonstop. And she's doing a great job teaching the kids. And she's been homeschooling, now homeschooling too. But I know you guys always enjoy seeing her on. And I always love to see her on too. Um, but anyway, I love you guys. And I'll be back. Have a great Monday. I'll be back tomorrow morning, 1030. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.